Nation, I have a personal favorite and an amazing, fun conversation to share with you. Florida Pure Sea Salt founder Maureen Cassiapo is here today to explore and discuss the world of sea salt and so much more. Join Marie and I as she shares her story of creating my favorite brand of variety pure sea salt and walks us through the story of how her team is bringing people together, creating community, and reconnecting. As I've been mentioning now over the past few weeks, we've recreated everything here at Healthcare 360, a new podcast and virtual teaching studio, as well as a healing clinic, where people come to experience true health as nature intended. We're playing around the clock to bring to you the change that you've all been asking for. As I just mentioned, phase three of our website is being designed and soon to be finalized and ready for the big reveal for the 100th recap with Michelle F. Burgess in episode 109. In the meantime, head on over to our best-in-class website, scottyburgess.com, and take a minute to watch genuine video testimonials and determine for yourself what best-in-class affiliates can do for you and your personal wellness journey. We thank you for supporting us here at Healthcare 360. It means the world to us. Now, let's dive into our conversation with Florida Pure Sea Salt CEO, Maureen Cassiapo. And as always, thanks for listening. Good morning, Scott. I don't know you. I love you for what you did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, we don't hear that enough between strangers, right? My whole family loves what you did. It's amazing. And and so we were sitting down at dinner one night and I go, you know, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we just need to have them on the show before you and I exchanged and met. And my, one of my kids was like, that'd be kind of cool. And I go, that'd be really cool. How I do things on the podcast is I go in just like my kids, childlike curiosity, and I just start asking questions. I don't know where they're going to come from. Yeah. And boom. <laughs> right? That's awesome. You know, I find that kids have more questions about the process and kind of recognizing, you know, I, I, at adults, we just kind of get into the rhythm of things and yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's salt. It's an everyday thing. And you don't start questioning. And kids question just so much more. And they're really mm-hmm. into kind of how it builds and how it happens. How does, wait a second, you take water and you get salt? How does that work? That's neat. I'm glad that uh, your kids are into that. So I'll get uh, one of the jars. Before, when people would use salt, you'd see them grab the salt shaker and they're shaking it all over there. What I remember the schoolhouse rock, don't drown your food whole thing they're, yeah. dr- they're drowning their food with salt and i found with uh, your florida pure sea salt that i'm actually just taking a sprinkle like a cook would and just sprinkle it on sometimes i like a little bit more sometimes like a little bit less and i'm starting even to mix them a little bit for the, the different flavors that are in them oh okay. it's wonderful yeah. love it love it love it have you reached the uh, garlic habanero combination because that's my favorite i haven't done that yet i have tried the garlic which was just i was like wow addison likes the habanero ashlyn really liked the garlic and I'll, I'll show you the spread that i have in front of me right now but we had a whole bunch of them everyone welcome back another episode of healthcare 360 you're gonna love this story in front of us we have the owner ceo founder of florida pure sea salt maureen cassiopo and i exchanged emails about like a month ago and i reached out and i was you know, sticking with the whole, the healthcare side of the whole thing and say, what's the benefits of salt? And I just seen a post from a recent friend of the, you know, so that would be a really interesting topic. I originally reached out to Maureen saying, Hey, what do you think? What do you know? And she said, well, you know, I'm really not in that side of it. I'm on the other side. Let's tell the story. So, you know, something brilliant. Here's how I got to know Florida pure sea salt. And it, it was, I was traveling to New Jersey. 
I just like my hot sauce. I like the capsaicin. I like what it does for this, like the, um, the sensation of relaxing my, my belly, relaxing my hunger. And also I just like a little kick on my food. So I'm always looking for a little bit of a hot sauce. So then I found this, this is the Florida pure sea salt habanero blend. Okay. Now I've mentioned it before at my show. I don't know how many countless friends I started telling about it, but I think I stopped after a while because I couldn't find it. And I was like, wait, I got to stop talking about it. <laughs> and I noticed a, a, like a physiological change in my body. Like I wasn't using as much salt. I was using this a little bit and it was just having that much of an impact. So I was in New Jersey. I was in Whole Foods and this is where I found this little jar. Since then, I have not used any other salt. And on top of that, if you actually look at their shop and all the different blends that they have. Now I have in front of me, I have the habanero, which I showed right here. And then I have chipotle. That's another one. I mean, you can mine those two. That's amazing. And then I have the regular Florida pure, which is just regular sea salt, which is marvelous. I've tried garlic. I've tried the black sea salt, uh, which is charcoal on there. All of them are amazing. Maureen, thank you for being available. This morning when my daughter Ashen, she goes, who are you recording today? And I said, I'm, I'm recording with Florida Pure Sea Salt. That's how they, they all know you. And they're like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you for being a salty supporter. We appreciate it very much. Yeah. So why don't you walk us through how this all started and your yeah. story behind there. And then I really am attracted to the mission as well, which yeah, is really a you. cool story. That's I, I love missions behind just something that this is what we all should be eating. I, I agree. <laughs> I definitely agree. But thank you very much. It started in a, a pretty simple, basic way. And I think that kind of shows, you know, what we do here at Florida Pure Sea Salt and how salt is formed and really who I am. I don't mean it in a simplistic way, but it's it's really a beautiful thing when you can create something that is really good for your body, great flavor, and it's something that you want to share with your family and friends. The process itself is really basic and simple, and we'll get into all of that. I'm excited oh, yeah. to share that with you. At the dinner table, they'll ask me about that. Like, yeah. hey, how is this made? I don't know, but the only way I can think of it, they're just basically boiling the water away and the remains, the salt, and they're probably chopping it up or something like that. And they go, oh, I said, but I will find out for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So there's multiple ways of doing it. We're doing it one or two ways, really, but there's all sorts of different kinds. We can talk all about that. So my background's in outdoor education. I worked in nonprofits for about a decade. I came from a big family that eating around a dinner table each night was really important. On the weekends, we would go to grandma and grandpa's and my cousins would be there. And it was really uh, the food and it was kind of the thread that connected us all around the dinner table. It, and, Italian descent, I would imagine. Yes, with, uh, partial, yeah. yeah. I, Italian I, and, and Irish, yes. So that was, yeah, <laughs> virtual high five. Was that? <laughs> yeah. So my mother's maiden name is Bruno and my father's uh, obviously was Burgess. We lived in Boston in, in a double decker and my grandparents lived upstairs. So every pasta Sunday, pasta Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. My family did the same thing in Queens. They grew up in the houses next to each other, you know, the, the shared units. So they have very similar, similar stories and not unusual. So many people's stories at that time. Right. Um, it really was something that they did for years before I was born, after I was born. And it was, I think, a, a beautiful way to grow up in many ways. And so I was always connected to food. I was always 
aware that it connected people and it allowed us to have conversations and talk through things and really do check-ins. You know, that's a great so way of looking at that with the, with the check-in. That's an awesome way of looking at that. If you didn't see your talk, kind of like before cell phones, right? Not that oh, yeah. they're bad. I actually like that piece of tech. Yeah. But as, as long as we are conscious of how it could take over, right? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and it's, you know, life has gotten even busier. And if we don't kind of create that space for that time, you find that you don't do it uh, rarely, especially with kids. I find it very important to do. And that's kind of part of why I did what I did was being in outdoor ed and, and loving the wilderness and coming from a family that really cared about food and where it came from, growing their own and gardens connecting communally over that food and cooking together. It was a hobby for a while. So I got into it. I'm not exactly sure how I got into it. My wife came home at one point and I was in the backyard cooking, uh, ruining one of our pots and boiling water. And she asked me what I was doing. And I said, um, you know, making salt. And she kind of said, all right. (laughs) I've always had unique hobbies. And that was the first awareness that we can kind of remember and how I started doing it. And it progressed from there and I started nerding out on the chemistry and the history of salt and starting taking really diligent notes. People ask like, how did you get into it? And I can't exactly remember. And it's oftentimes in life, you don't know when those are really important moments in your life, things mm-hmm. take place, a conversation that'll change your life or an activity or an event. I wish I brought, you know, talking about mindfulness, I wish I was more present in those moments. So I could have even a cooler story. I don't though. I was in the backyard ruining pots and that was kind of the start of it. That's what intrigues me the most is it just happened because it was supposed yeah. to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And it's a, you know, it's playing off my enjoyment, right? Of, of all of those things, being mm-hmm. outdoors, being in the water, really wanting to know and connect with where food was coming from big time. And that, that was kind of the start of my, my own journey with when it came to food and um, connecting to it and understanding it on a, on a larger level. You know, I was leaving Florida at that time a lot for work with my job, and we weren't getting on with family goals. At that point, we decided that we were either going to have to redefine those goals or change something else. And that was really the time that I thought maybe this hobby could be a business. And it was. We, we progressed with family goals. We uh, made it a business. And each year is drastically different than the, the time before. And this past year has been uh, one of the most unique ones for myself and so many other small business owners. But that's kind of the start of it, the story of it all. Something wow. changed in our lives. We weren't meeting our own goals and we had to change something. Right. Well, that, I can relate to that. You talked about a little bit of the history uh, of salt. I, I have a couple of different notes uh, that just kind of popped out when you mentioned that. So. What is the history of salt? Is there something there that we don't know about that we just overlook in today's present culture? So there's lots of different ways that salt has been just a a huge, uh, so example, traveling by boat. Mm -hmm. You know, when exploration really came about, it was possible because of salt. They couldn't go further and further out with foods that were spoiling. Uh, A lot of the foods were preserved in the salt. And then they were able to go on week, month, and, and year-long boat rides to find new land. So the explore, just finding new land, really, salt is, is an incredible part of that story and allowing it to happen, really. 
So you've always heard about like preservative, like salts being used. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say hold things fresh, but elongates the lifespan of food or anything else that it's being used for. So it removes moisture is what uh-huh. it does. And it protects the outside when foods are encrusted. It also protects bacterias and molds, funguses to be able to grow on the surface as well and break down the cells really is, is what's going on there. So it's removing the moisture and, and protecting it as well. So things kind of can't come in and affect it in that way. You just explained so much when you see this little packs that are in uh, random jars or supplements or whatever it may be, it's the little salt packets. And that's exactly what it's doing. It's keeping the moisture out to the bacteria and just natural bacteria can invade and deteriorate. Right. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. See? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it, salt's been used in so many different ways. One of the salt facts people are comfortable with is the idea of people used it as instead of money in the Greek culture, mm-hmm. it was used as their salary. They get paid in salt. And there's uh, that's usually the storyline. But in other literature, it says it's actually it's not. And that's where the word, excuse me, salt came from based on the word salary. Mm-hmm. There's two, I guess, thoughts there is that they didn't actually give the workers salt but they gave them money and through that money, they were able to purchase salt for themselves and their families. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't nailed that down as to which way is the right one, but <laughs> people don't know a lot about salt. Gandhi's salt march back in uh, 1930 was an act of civil disobedience against the British ruling. So the British had basically taxed salt so much so as a tool to hold people down. So they made it illegal to make And it was something that so many people had access to living along the coast. They had water, they had seawater, they had sun, and they could make salt. And of course, our bodies need salt to live. The minerals, uh, usually 80 plus minerals that our bodies need as well, are happening naturally in salt if you don't add different chemicals and bleach. Mm -hmm. And this was something that they were utilizing as a tool to keep people down. And and Godney, as a nonviolent act of civil disobedience, for 24 days, over 240 miles, walked from village to village, asking people to join him on his walk to the water and to the coastline. And what happened was over 120,000 people, 80,000 people, which got arrested because they wound up walking down to the water, making salt, just collecting salt in buckets, making pools and allowing the sun to dry it. That was a way of saying, listen, we want our independence. Unfortunately, they didn't gain independence until I, I believe 1948, 1944. Wow. So quite a few years later, but it was one of the big, big moments because so many countries picked that up through their media outlets at the time, newspapers mostly were writing about it because there were so many people involved. Goes to show that salt has been used in different ways, whether it's for exploration or control of people. It's interesting. So one of the things you, you just talked about, we talked about trace minerals and the 80 different types of subset minerals that are in salt. We do a lot of talks uh, in and around a couple of different detoxification systems and really don't like that word detoxification because it makes people feel like they're dirty, but stuff that's not, that doesn't belong in the physiology. And wouldn't you know that one of the core ingredients is trace minerals, salts, pure salt. Hmm. So all, all this is starting to make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Great. 
Now you're a chemist and you're playing in your backyard. At Hold barbecue. Let me tell you, I am no chemist. <laughs> I had to yeah. reteach myself high school chemistry. That's okay. Um, but no, I'm, I am no chemist. I know just a little bit to be a, a little bit dangerous. And now I, I know enough, though, to work with people a lot smarter than me. And I, I, we have a material scientist, a chemist that we work with. Paint us a picture. What did it look like in your backyard at the barbecue or at the pot when you were making your own salt? What did that look like? I mean, did you yeah. have pots everywhere? Did you have water everywhere? You were just kind of like playing around? I was just playing around. I got a pan and, and a, like a screen that you would see on your windows. Uh, and I tried to do a solar evaporation process. A lot of gnats and mosquitoes were getting into that over multiple days. And then it rained one day as the crystals were forming and diluted the salt. And uh, my whole process was ruined. And I also did, you know, in the South, we're doing those big crab oils. So I have the outdoor uh, burners with the, the propane and a couple different pots. And I went through them quickly. And I started going to different uh, donation centers really and buying pots because I couldn't use my nice pots anymore. I was going through them too quickly. Salt is just so corrosive. So mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of boiling at that point as well and just noticing different things and writing them down and saying, I wonder why that happens or what is the scaling of the inside of the pot? And really just having questions I didn't have answers to. And I loved it. I loved making gross salt and having lots of questions with no answers because it made me start pushing myself and learning more and Googling and getting old books and then hooking up with eventually people that really knew the science behind. It wasn't necessarily salt making, but the science behind materials is really what it, it was. And understanding, you know, the scaling that I'm seeing is some of the the minerals crashing out, so the calcium, a couple others. It was a unique journey in that way. Most of the journey was through failure, just really documenting my failure. And I had pages of that, Scott. <laughs> I had pages of failure. And when I started like, making- Don't do that one again. What a flame this high, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Burning salt. Who would have thought, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's really, it's, it's cool. And that's how you learn. You know, we learn more through our failures than our triumphs. I was just really enjoying the process of learning at that time. Once I started making a consistent product, that's really where it kind of started shifting my mind a little bit of, wow, maybe we can make a business. Maybe this is not just a hobby. So I introduced this to a really good friend of mine, uh, Dwight Hines, and he is a grill master. Just oh, yeah utter master. And I was like, Hey, you should check this stuff out. And he tasted it. And again, he took a little, put a little bit on his tongue and he's wow. He said, that stuff was good. I go, right. And then you got a couple steaks. The whole families were over. And he says, you know, when you're charring a steak, it's the salt that chars on top. So you hold all the fat and everything else and all the flavor. And I was like, no kidding. So again, so he's teaching me now about the grilling and I just happened to introduce something to him that I really, really loved to you know, eat my food with. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So hearing you say all that is making a lot of sense to me personally in my experience, even with my friends with, with your product. But here's my next question for you. So when did you know you had something? When did you know after all those notes and all those failures and all those successions that you're like, you know something, I think we got something here. I think it was the consistency of it all. 
when I was able to start giving it to family and friends as gifts. And that's really when the timing was right, I guess, when I was able to do that and share. Uh, and now I, I absolutely love when you've said it a couple of times, you're sharing it with your friend, you're sharing it with your family. And that is the most humbling thing that anyone can do with, with what we do, because it's such a labor of love. It's such a time consuming process. Mm-hmm. And we're doing everything by hand, whether we're labeling the bottles or actually creating everything. It's, it's all done by hand and by a team of people who really deeply care about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Energy is, I think, something that you can taste in food. So mm-hmm. uh, to be able to have really people I know and strangers want to share that with their family and friends is so awesome to me. So thank you again. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and I think it really was like a, a, just an opportunity. The timing met up when we started having more of these conversations of, okay, what makes sense for our family and our goals and, and our future. And at that point, I had been making a consistent backyard product and thought, okay, what could this look like? What will I need to do? And started really getting more information about the process of opening up a business, a unique business as well that really no one knew what needed to be done, what certifications I needed who to check in with. And Mm -hmm. the more government entities I spoke with, they just had questions. They're saying, wait a second, what are you doing? And how does that process work? So I'd say, okay, you know, this is what we're doing and explain it all. Like, no, that's all good. You don't need anything from us, but you might want to check with uh, so-and-so over at, you know, the different agency. And when I went through that process for six, eight, 10 months, just trying to get all of our ducks in a row. It was a little bit longer than a typical start your business and get your paperwork mm-hmm. and check in and it's definitely worth it. What are your favorite recipes? Because I'm looking at the website as you have the fly-throughs and you have salt, yeah. watermelon and all that. Where is your go-to? I eat eggs every morning. So I usually, I think I enjoy hard-boiled eggs so much because of the versatile salts I, I have access to. Yeah. Like I'd still be eating eggs all the time if, if, uh, if not. I think. Vegetables. So vegetables are pretty one-dimensional. Anytime we can elevate vegetables and the depth of flavor and really anything, but especially veggies, I find myself eating them more. So grilled asparagus with a little lime and sea sea salt sprinkled on as soon as you take them off the grill is awesome. Butternut squash soup or roasted acorn squash with olive oil or butter, and then sprinkling our maple bacon sea salt, which is vegan friendly Mm -hmm. on it is incredible. If you're talking like chicken or garlic infused or habanero infused is incredible, whether it's baked or uh, on the grill. In the summer, I eat a little bit lighter. So fish, and that can go with the garlic, our rosemary infused sea salt, our, our lime infused sea salt. Our black garlic is incredible. Are you familiar with black garlic? No. No, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's Let me tell you about it. It's uh so our black garlic is garlic that's been fermented for anywhere from two weeks to two months. You get into the science of things. So most people know it when they see or have heard of black garlic. It's called fermented black garlic. It's mm-hmm. not the way of fermentation, though. It's a similar process, and it starts with an M, and I'm blanking on the name right now. I'm looking at it right here. So black garlic infused sea salt. Yeah. So it's, it's a process of introducing kind of similar to sea salt. It's uh, it's thyme, it's garlic, and it's humidity. What that does is break down the sugars in garlic. The garlic has a fair amount of sugar in it, naturally. So it breaks it down and it completely 
completely transforms the flavor of garlic. It becomes a balsamic notes, molasses notes. It's sweeter. And what we do is we ferment it. We go through this process and then we dehydrate it for a couple of days. We grind it up and we add it to the salt. So on a pork tenderloin or eggs or even on salad, I don't use salad dressing anymore. I use um, one of our salts. And then what that does is it naturally pulls out the uh, the liquid in the greens, whichever I'm using. And it becomes like a little dressing after a few minutes there. It's really, it's pretty. Oh, I'm so excited to try that. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and I'm like. Good picture, by the way. It does it justice. Good, good. It's delicious. (laughs) I'm clicking through here. So recipes, is that a cookbook itself or just recipes that you're giving as a, like a free product offering on your website? Yeah, just different ways of using our salt. So it's, it's all free. Uh, We haven't done a, um, a cookbook. I would love to do that, but this is something that everyone can access. It's a natural fit for you, by the way. Maybe I'll connect with someone that has uh, the ability to do it and, and the passion for it right now. It's, it just hasn't been our focus, right? And I, I yeah. really don't want to shift too much away from our focus, especially when we have a lot going on, because that's when mistakes happen, you know? And, sure, I understand. And, um, we try yeah. not to do that. So we, we have a, a good friend who's a publicist. I can definitely put you in touch when you're ready. Thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. We're all connected, man. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Cool. Now here's a little bit of the the mixture of the hard question, I think. So now that it's a business, mm-hmm. what are the stresses that you are now, what are new stressors that you didn't realize? And then how do you balance it all? Because anytime you bring a passion to a business, it's, do you still have the same fire? Did you lose some of it? You gain even more. It sounds like you gain more. You can taste in the product itself, in the salt, the handmade connection with the labels and everything else you just talked about. So if you can walk me through that a little bit. How has it changed stressors? I feel like it changes every day. I think that fits well with my personality growing up as a with ADHD and kind of growing out of that in ways, but also learning tools of handling that. I think you kind of you find yourself in places that you serve well and that serves you. And I think having the ability to create my own business and bring on the team, it's been a really nice fit in many ways. The older I get, the more I'm learning about myself and growing in different ways and started really finding myself enjoying the processes and procedures of certain things. I think that's been helpful on the business side of things, how we grow and how we grow really intentionally and thoughtfully and who we're partnering with and even where we're selling ourselves you know there's got to be an alignment uh, I I feel stressors have been different each day sometimes each month each year this past year has been really unique because of it's been good and it's been challenging right thank goodness I myself wasn't affected so negatively by COVID in the sense of losing people close to me some of these these challenges that so many other people have, have faced, I feel really grateful. I think being mindful of that and being grateful of the opportunities that that allowed us to take a stop, our business pretty much stopped. We were in more small specialty shops than we were in the large grocery stores. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get the big boom that a lot of medium and large companies got from the stay-at-home and cooking kind of craze of where we were during the pandemic, that was was definitely challenging financially. We had we had gotten to a point that 
it's incredible when I stopped and really thought about, okay, some of these goals that we had that we kind of placed on the back burner that we are able to start to get to becoming a woman certified business where there's a lot of paperwork involved and just commitment to that, which I didn't have time. And it wasn't one of those things that was affecting our business daily, building out our SEO, so the back end of our our website to become more discoverable. All of these things that are really important to a business, but when you're one person with a phenomenal team, but they're only kind of one person as well, focusing on what they are needing to do, a lot of things get kind of pushed back and pushed back. And we were able to focus on a lot of those things. And the whole idea was, we heard this term pivot during the pandemic. Well, you've got to pivot your business. I'm going, I make salt. Where are we going to pivot to? And what I decided was, it was really about not so much pivoting, but really investing money in different ways so we could come out stronger when we come out of the pandemic. And so a lot of time was spent focusing on making sure that we are a stronger business, have even more of a, a sturdy base that we can build off of that when we come out of this. It's working. It's incredible. It's, and I feel really fortunate for those reasons that I had an opportunity to say, okay, let me process what I've just been experiencing in the last four years and mm-hmm. see where we are and how we're going to turn this in a place where we can actually use this found time and come out stronger and really be able to better support our team. Right now, our business specifically with our supply chain is very small. It's very localized in many cases. If we're getting bottles, we're using an American bottle company from the Midwest. That bottle, this jar, I keep them. I peel the label off and I actually use them for vitamin D or B because I just, I love the bottle. Thank Uh, you. That's great. I told one of my girls that I may just call them just to find out where they get the bottles from. (laughs) Yeah, they're awesome bottles. And, And that's what we want people to do. If they don't want to do that, they can send it back to us and we'll send them a spoon. We have a recycled program that we were able to start based on the request of our customers that, again, it was one of those things that we felt like we couldn't get to and we were able to get to during the pandemic. Um, And that information can be found on our website. It's a beautiful bottle and it's just really well crafted and it looks nice and it's intelligent design. I was talking to you earlier about people using just like, you know, shaking salt all over the food. You don't need to do that. This bottle right here, although it costs $15 and I'm happy to spend $15 on a, on what some, some other people may consider a jar of salt. This will last me at least two, two and a half months easy because you don't need to use as much. Now I'm talking from a customer perspective where I love the habanero so much. I actually bookmarked that exact shop page because I know you ran out of stock a few times. So for a while, I was checking it every day. And then I saw once you had like three available, four available. And I go, ah, I got to get one. So I bought two. (laughs) Nice. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love that you're uh, favoriting our habanero (laughs) UC salt page. (laughs) Remember the picture I showed you over email? That was that time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you very much. We haven't had these supply chain issues that other companies have had until recently. And the Mm -hmm. bottles is it right now. So we've been, although growing in many ways, all of a sudden gotten larger accounts here and there, but we are struggling getting bottles in because their supplies might 
partially come from overseas. So let me ask you a question. Are you able to send the salt out in a bag to reuse the bottles? That was, and thank you for, for asking that. That was a, a request from our customers a long while ago. And Again, this is one of the things that we said, all right, we have thousands of labels here. We have our jars. Let's kind of stick to our lane if we start doing. There's always a process, right? Of sure. Whether it's designing the labels. There's a lot of people involved in the process. Finding a bag that is made from recyclable material that is recyclable, it's a little bit tricky to do. And I finally came across one and now we are doing pouches. It's made of recycled material. It is recyclable. They're cute too. So that's always something we have to consider as well. So it's good for the environment and it's good for us, especially with our glass challenge. And we might need to go to different bottles. We're kind of navigating that right now. And it's a whole uh, lesson in just lots of learning opportunities right now and life lessons and I'm thankful that I'm surrounded right now with a great team of people and we can bounce each other ideas off each other and think through different opportunities and avenues. And when you're challenged by certain things, this is when we grow. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of growth happening with us, um, not just our long-term goals, but right now of, all right, well, how are we going to really be successful in the next couple of months with bottle challenges and yeah. red tide coming into the area and all things that affect you know, there's so many variables in making salt. There's a lot of things in our business that we need to be mindful of. Going to the bread tie topic, my wife and I went over to Naples and we spent a few days and never really experienced red tide. We're on the beach and we're riding our bikes and just having a great time. And then all of a sudden, my eyes were burning, my nose, and I thought yeah. I was getting sick. But I had, again, no clue of the red tide. But then I was looking at the fish. I think, oh, this must be where red tide is, not knowing that it was in the air. And then someone goes, oh yeah, it's in the air. It gets really, really bad. So I can really empathize with you for that, knowing that you have such a, a great product and you have to deal with I never really thought of that. You're over in Sarasota, right? We're in the Tampa Bay area. So we're in St. Pete. We're split between Tampa and St. Pete right now. Gotcha. Red tides, it's an interesting thing because when we have these big blooms, this is when people start to pay a little bit more attention to our natural resources. Sometimes I get questions. I wish I got more questions about it, really. Red tide is a bacteria, and it happens, really, it happens for thousands and thousands of years in seawater. It's always in seawater. So it's, it's in a small enough amount that it doesn't affect anyone. You can swim. You can ride your bikes by the beach. It's, it's no big deal. A teaspoon of water, there's 50,000 different types of bacteria uh, and algaes in that it's extreme. There's large amount. This stuff doesn't bother us. Doesn't bother a fish. It's been happening for millions of years. We just don't really think about it all that often. So red tide is basically what happens is that when there's additional nutrients in the form of runoff, really it's, it could happen because it's now rainy season here in Florida. People are putting pesticides on their lawns. If there's an issue, sometimes of a release of sewage, yeah. Because of so many, so many reasons that can get into the waterways and that nutrients from really fecal matter is what feeds these bacterias. There's a phosphate plant that breaks the barriers down and comes down the river into the waterways, again, feeding this bacteria and, and these algaes. And what happens is it blooms when you have hot, warm water and 
excess nutrients, that's a perfect combination for that to happen. You plan for it as a business, you plan for it, you're going to expect it, you harvest more water, kind of plan the season for it, but you can't necessarily plan for old phosphate centers that their levee wall breaks and dumps a ton of sewage into the waterways or a municipality having to release sewage into the waterways. Those are all unique scenarios. Yeah, there's lots of variables and how we have to be super careful. We test our waters. If we think that we're paying attention enough, we still have to test it and filter it. And this might be a good lead into kind of our process versus other processes of salt. Absolutely. If you're ready to, to yeah. go on that journey with me, Scott. <laughs> well, real quick, I want to mention this goes back to an episode. We had a German company in Alema, and they designed a water wand that helps to restructure water coherently. We had a couple of viewers on YouTube that came back with some excellent questions. Because one of the questions I asked, I said, well, look, I said, so can you use a water wand and will it be effective in regular tap water? And they said, no, because of the chlorine and fluoride. Did a little digging like I usually do. And I'm like, okay, well, what would that look like? By chance, I was on a call with Dr. Peter Kozlowski, they call him Doc Koz, and he had a new book called Unfunk Your Gut. And he says, you know, a typical Brita or a zero water will take out those high trace chemicals. Let's call them chemicals because they are, that's in our water. And then from there, then you can structurally coherent your, your water source with the water wand. Dolph, um, one of the CEOs and Eric with the Amalema company, they designed this product over 14 years and it's powered by light, by the sun itself. It's amazing. So it's working within with the minerals to... What they did was, which was really unique, the wand itself is either stainless steel or a bamboo. That's the design for the, the actual handler of it. And okay. then the water, uh, and they didn't go into that tech because it's right now, I think it's still patent pending. It's housed by quartz. Now, you know the properties of quartz. Quartz kills bacteria, virus, and everything else. Because of the light structure, like attracts like, it takes a chaotic water trail, if you will. So the difference, now, again, I referred to my girls, I have four daughters, and just referring to how they approached your product with the Florida Pure Sea Salt. Now, yesterday, my wife was down in Miami to do extreme roller skating. And my daughter says, hey, do you have the wand with you? Can you wand my water? They physically can taste and feel the difference of water. So what I do here, my water bottle, it's all glass. I can feel and taste the difference in the water. And I'm not trying to be a water snob at all. I can just, when I drink one of these, I'm nourished for the day. Actually, I drink a couple of these, but I'm nourished for the day. When I don't, I have to drink a lot more water. Wow. Yeah, it's very cool stuff. I'll forward you all the stuff. It's really Please, cool. Thank you. Yeah. I'll uh, watch the show there too. That is very neat. Thank you for sharing that. You want to know something? This is, this is one of the reasons why we're connecting. I'm very intrigued. The process itself is minerality affects the different structure of the salt and the stacking, but also the minerals affect the flavor and even the color of the salt. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are familiar with Himalayan sea salt, of course. Yeah. Mediterranean sea salt, which is like a gray salt, and that's all affected by different minerals. And higher mineral levels affects the different colors. Ours is a white salt that it has a really clean finishing salt because 
some of the uh, minerals that make salt bitter, we're able to extract out of the, the process. I like clean finishing salt. While if you have the Mediterranean salt and you just put it on your tongue, you're going to get a bitter aftertaste on that. So different parts of the world, the seawater there can make different kinds of salt, uh, which is super unique. And Cyprus salt water air in that area of Cyprus uh, specs, and it makes huge flakes. And that's, that's incredible to me. Are you importing water from different parts of the globe? So well, we import just... salt from different parts of the world. Okay. Water is heavy. It is super, super heavy. Yeah, that would be extremely costly and, and just not efficient with money or um, carbon footprint. So we do work with makers from all over the world now because we want to be not only great at what we do here with our water from Florida, but we want to also provide folks great salt from other parts of the world. You know, people connect with local and local farmers and we're kind of like part manufacturer part farmer part foodie restaurant tour like you know we're we're a little unique niche here um but people are doing little batches of salt um, in different places of the world in our country and they're doing some great stuff and we want to be kind of the the one-stop shop as we're growing into a larger business and able to diversify in that way so we work with different makers who make salt in different ways. Salt companies do it in all sorts of ways. I grew up with Morton Sea Salt. That's all I knew as a kid right. growing up. You know, it's in the salt shaker in the summer. You throw some rice in there to, to help it from clumping, even though it had anti-clumping agents in it and some other stuff. And, and we would use that. We'd be putting a whole bunch on our food. And I never thought of where salt came from. And in that scenario, it oftentimes comes from within the States and they're going in with heavy machinery and they're ripping the salt out from mountainsides. So it affects the landscape forever and Mm -hmm. um, things living in that landscape. It's an aggressive way of actually harvesting salt. Other companies tapped into an ancient sea that's underneath possibly a, a mountain range. So there's one in West Virginia that's definitely under a mountain range. They've tapped down and they pump it up and they do a solar evaporation process. So that's something that's been trapped as uh, land collided. Salt, seawater, seawater got trapped in the the mountains Mm -hmm. and they're able to extract it that way. In the other case, it was trapped and evaporated and then you can sometimes rehydrate it. So you're pumping water in. You're using a lot of water to get it out of the mountainside, and then you're dehydrating it again. Uh, what we do is, I feel like, uh, the best way for our carbon footprint and for the environment, we take it out as seawater, and then we dehydrate it, whether it's solar evaporation process, which in Florida in the summer can take over two months to dehydrate. It's a really right. low slow process because the air is super saturated, most often in, in the ovens or the pans. Uh, in the commercial kitchen is how we go about it. Everyone does it a little bit differently and the ancient way of doing it and how so many countries do it now is is still through these salt fields. So high tide comes, they'll let the water come up, they'll trap it or they'll maybe pump it, but they're pretty darn close to the sea. And then they'll uh, move it from one kind of large sea crib to another as it starts to decrease in volume. And that's how they do it. And they go in there and they push it with shovels and rakes and mound it up and it dries by the sun as well. 
it's not something that I think a lot of people in our country know about unless maybe they're well-traveled or foodies because we're such a young country. And it's not something we really did for hundreds and thousands of years. There have been small salt operations, of course, in, in this country, but it's not the longevity like it is in so many of these ancient cultures. It's not down the road from them. They don't see it. They don't really necessarily put thought yeah. into it. I don't know why this question's coming up for me, but as you're extracting salt, can salt reproduce itself or is it just one and done? Like you extract it and it's gone because the way I'm thinking is I'm like, okay, I hear someone be like, well, they're extracting too much salt and the, the ocean's lost, you know, 0.0001% of its alkalinity, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Is there we don't really have much of a, <laughs> a hand in that. We have very little byproduct. The byproduct we do have, we can put back into our, our waterways and it's actually being put back cleaner than we found it, which is awesome. And this this goes back to, um, you know, my background in outdoor ed and mm-hmm. the importance of us bringing in, uh, whether it's our packaging and, and making sure it's sustainable or that we're not having a, a negative effect on our environment. Um, and that kind of goes hand in hand with our mission. It's what you kind of alluded to earlier. I mean, when I say like we are connected, I literally just clicked on salt for a cause. <laughs> <laughs> I like the flow, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we started a few years ago about hooking up with some different organizations that really have a hand in protecting waterways or supporting folks who are somewhere along the lines of Red Backpack is an organization when kids don't have meals at home, three days a meal that they, uh, over the weekends, they provide food for them and their families, while other days they're getting food at school. We also hooked up with organizations who are teaching stewardship of the environment to adults and children. So it was really kind of focused in three different areas, food insecurity, stewardship of the earth, or protection of our waterways. And we became either a corporate sponsor of them or we were giving back to their programming. We decided this year, again, with some time, being able to really be thoughtful and intentional, we came up with Salts for a Cause. And that was during the pandemic. We wound up hooking up with 11 different organizations We still focused on protection of the earth and and our waterways and education and food insecurities, but we also uh, broadened it a bit. This month is Health Services. It's with Tampa Bay Health Collaborative. So they're a local organization, but we don't necessarily just work with local organizations. There are national nonprofits, global nonprofits. Water.org was one of the global nonprofits Mm -hmm. that we worked with. And basically what's happening is that we've designed beautiful labels for our salts. And if you purchase a bottle of our sea salt with that label, 20% of your purchase price goes directly back to that organization doing whatever they can to support that cause. So some of these are well-known organizations um, like the Nature Conservancy, Humane Society. Some of them are really known in our area, uh, Moffitt Cancer Center, uh, Together Rising Tampa Bay, Feeding Tampa Bay for food insecurities. They're giftable, and it helps us as a a small business coming out of COVID, of course, but it also helps bring awareness to this nonprofit and give them some proceeds as well. We pick one each month to highlight on our social media and do email blasts and our newsletter um, and reach out to media outlets. But all year long, you can be purchasing these salts to give to people or or put on your, your kitchen countertop. 
and mm-hmm. you're reaching a lot of people. A lot of people are positively affected by the purchase. I love the fact that you can gift this because on the website, you actually see like the smaller bottles, super cute as well at the same time. It's kind of like, uh, think of like, if, for those who drink alcohol, or like a sampler, like a bear sampler. Really well done. Really, really well done. All right. So I'm going to hit you with uh, two classic questions for the podcast. Mm-hmm. You are an educated person. You're a founder, CEO of a company. Where do you spend your time reading, listening to podcasts? Where do you get your education from? Oh, that's a great question. I have a couple stacks of books around my house. There's probably six or seven by my nightstand right now. I read multiple books at once. They are everything from fiction to nonfiction. One that I'm reading right now is called Lunch with Lucy. It's a business book. Mm. Uh, And I've been loving that. And it's basically about investing in your staff as the most important people and talking about profit sharing and something that I've was part of my goals as creating this company was really having, you know, the mentality of the teammates and giving back to the people who are so integral in making your business what it is and caring for it as much as you do, or maybe not as much. I don't want that. You know, it's, I don't want people staying up at night and, and worrying and thank goodness. I don't do that very often because of some of the other books I read, whether it's Untamed or some areas that bring just more thought and mindfulness and connectedness. Podcasts, a lot of business podcasts, or the short kind of 20-minute history podcasts, or what I should have learned by now kind of podcasts. That's great. Yeah. For our show here, I'm of the mindset you can probably get a quick hit out of the 20 minute, but you don't get enough of the detail. And a lot of that storytelling is where you have that true resynapse and rewiring of the brain where you're like, oh, I never really thought of it that way, where it excites different potentialities to be thought of and created. So I like going for a little bit of what, what I would call long haul from like either 45 minutes to 90 minutes, but I can definitely see where if you only have a certain amount of time, I also love conversation. I just love talking with people. I'm with you on that. It's kind of like what we talked about in Outdoor, the progression of, of the programming. If 20 minutes or 15 minutes, if it attracts me enough, I'm the type of person that starts Googling and nerding out and finding out how else I can get this information. And That's it sounds right. like you're that, I know you are actually. It's not well, even that it sounds like you are that guy that really <laughs> dives into it all. Someone will say something and I go, oh, that's, that's pretty curious. Have you ever thought about it this way? Or what about that? And then all of a sudden they're in the void. They don't like, I, I, what are you talking about? And then I'm off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking, researching. When we started the podcast, I had no idea. I had not a clue. Like my daughter, I don't like to be told what to do. I like to go in there and play and ask questions and play and just keep tinkering. Kind of like someone I know now who did that with salt. Yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. boom. And then here we go. Here it is. And then there's other folks that are just like, just hit me straight. I'm like, okay, no problem. Yeah. But that's how I learn the best. Me too. Learning by doing, and you know, the kinesthetic learning, I'm all about it. And it's interesting because I've done that all my life, not realizing that it was difficult for me to fit into certain boxes, whether it's school or, or others. And because of my type of learning and then figuring out as a, a young adult, like, wow, this is truly how I can be successful in these ways. And I'm with you. And for a moment, I, I kind of thought everyone was. <laughs> and it turns out kinesthetic learners are, are the smallest grouping of it. But mm. 
I think we're the lucky ones, Scott. I think we're the fortunate ones that get to experience as we're learning in, in a very different way. Yeah, I nickname it Spidey Senses, but the sensation of feeling and and really getting in tune with that. And what was really cool is just last night, my youngest daughter, who's 12, has an uncanny ability in the sense of feel. I go, let's sit down. Let's, let's talk about this. We did. And we went through. She was feeling the metaphysical. I mean, she was was really, really wild. And cool. I, I could see her learning the rewiring going on in her body. And it was just unbelievable. It was so Good for it was you to kind of yeah. stop and explore that, you know, giving her the opportunity for that learning about ourselves. My gosh, you know, if we all did that at a younger age. Uh, yeah, we, we were never taught that when we were younger. We were never taught to feel and to use our natural senses. It was always like concrete, and, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's beautiful transitions happening between the generations, I think. And, and it's the connectiveness of information, I think, is there. Everyone tries to do the best they can with what they have, whatever resources those are. This informational, it's sometimes overwhelming, of course, the information that comes to us. Gosh, you should see how many podcasts that are ready to go right now that I haven't gotten to that I want to. It's just sometimes so overwhelming with life and and not creating that space. But when we do and we, we get that information that can serve us and our family and we can tap into those moments of, all right, what am I feeling here? Let's learn more about myself right now in this moment. That is cool. That is really cool. I'm really also fascinated in your story as a female entrepreneur. And yeah. when I tell you the level of creativity that just lingers in my house and is acted on, yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. All four of my girls are just unbelievably talented at everything that they have an interest in. And, and I'll say this out, out loud because my wife and I have talked about it openly, but we were very much the sports parents. Mm-hmm. I played Division One football. Uh, she was a uh, national champion in high school for rowing. Uh, just very competitive naturally. Mm-hmm. And only recently when one of my twins, because I have a 16 year old, 14 year old twins and a 12 year old mm-hmm. says, you know something, I, I'm not really enjoying softball anymore. Now, when I say they were good, these kids were good. They were, mm-hmm. they just had the ability to do it. They wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. So now she's making Disney or animation ballroom gowns and they're beautiful. And so she gets a piece <laughs> of paper she designs them out. Yeah. Then she builds them. Then her twin sister started off just by watching Moxie roller skates. Now she's an extreme roller skater. They both are. And they're doing aerials and flips. I mean, roller skates. I was like, girl, you can do that on roller skates? I had no idea. And then my youngest one, there's nothing that kid can't do. And then my oldest one is just so connected. And when I say connected, she just gets it. She just will sit there and she's like, yeah, well, here it is. Boom. And it just comes out. And I'm like, and my wife and I will look at each other, Michelle. And she's like, <laughs> we'll just start laughing. She's like, yeah, she's basically right. I mean, just so in tune and aligned with everything. That's incredible. Yeah. You're so, creating that space. You know, kids, kids are, I think, at a level that, and we were there. I think it just stems from being children and not knowing and not being kind of bogged down by other things. And mm-hmm. if they're given the for that creativity and and sometimes the resources it's incredible to see where they can take it you talked about that we talked about that box that you talked we recognize where that box is and we're like we don't my my kid doesn't fit in that box yeah yep no it's uh we limit each other we limit our passions our, our growth growing ability it's 
we think it keeps us safe, I think, in ways. And um, it hinders us in so many ways and for each other as well, not just individually. Right. So that's that's awesome. It that's sounds cool like stuff. you're you're doing some good stuff and in, in uh, all aspects of of your life. That's wonderful. Which nine? We we well, I yeah. teach, uh, we're doing it now. And in, in the past, there's some course correction, some readjustments. But again, we everyone looks at that. It was necessary to get to where you are. That's all. Totally. Yeah. Totally. You learn, and and it's a lot, right? We were, talked about it earlier. It's it's more about the learning from the failures, and life is a process of learning. And yeah. I think when you're more uh, apt to just be that type of person to do it more naturally or, or be more easygoing about it, or I don't know what it is, but when you're more intrigued about the process of learning, I think you get there a little bit easier, a little bit more gracefully. Curious. That's, yeah, the curiosity. That, that's where I camp out a lot is just being curious. Hmm, how did that yeah. work? Let's check that out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let me share something with you. I think you really, really find this pretty attractive. So my wife and my three went to a skate park. My oldest daughter was upstairs. She was finishing something up. I said, hey, we had an hour, a little bit longer than that. I said, let's watch Umbrella Academy together. Uh, it was like a sci-fi show. So she's like, yeah, do you mind if I come down in like 30 minutes? I want to take care of a few things. Yeah, no problem. Take your time, honey. Right. Now I'm sitting down. I'm taking care of a few things. This is July 4th. I go on Netflix. I'm like, oh, let's see what's there just to get some background noise so I can give my left brain a cookie so I can be creative with my right side. Mm-hmm. I see the show called The Edge of Everything We Know or something to that effect. And it was Stephen Hawking's and what they understand about black holes, what they think what the theory was behind it. Yeah. Outside of just being completely fascinated with the technology of how they're visualizing a black hole, I was like, wow, look at that. That's really cool. And all of a sudden, my computer was off my lap and I'm I'm like dialed in. So now they go in even deeper into the black hole. And this goes back to learning what you just talked about, which is so much information, information overload. I no longer feel that way. Not from yesterday, but for a long time now. I don't, I don't, I don't take notes. I don't do anything. I could just throw it up. I, when I say throw it up, I throw it up to the metaphysical and I can always just pull it back down so I can just remember stuff. When you looked at that black hole, they talked about how everything that gets attracted to the black hole under this theory the information turns to basically vapor and it's gone forever because black holes, speed of light, it doesn't emit or doesn't extract light. It's just, it's gone. But what they really found out with the new visualizations Mm -hmm. is that, remember white snow on TVs when we were growing up? Yeah. 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 When they looked in and they really hyper-focused in the black hole, that's all it was. It was chaos and information everywhere, whatever that information was coming in. So then I related that back to my sensation of feeling in my third eye. And I go, huh, isn't that really cool? It looks the same. <laughs> so you just wow, got it right that. there. <laughs> That's really interesting. We're throwing information up all the time. And again, if there's no order to it, because it doesn't need to be order. It just, you ask for the information and it comes when you need it. And that's the point. So now when I go into learning, I'm like, okay, I just pay attention and, and I make it relatable somehow and I throw mm-hmm. it up and I can forget about it and I can always reaccess this information and pull it back down. Wow. It's really fun. Really. Wow. And, that, and that's what I was going through with my daughter last night. Yeah. On just the beginning part of that, there's way, mm-hmm. uh, not way more depth, but way more just helping her understand where that energy comes from. And she was like, wow, all right. 
And that's, that's where I saw that's where I saw the change. I'm just sitting here going to do, do, do my thing, my laptop, trying to you know, get some things aligned. It just caught my attention when the noise, I was like, wait a minute, access to what? And there it was right in front of me. Very interesting. Absolutely. Well, now, of course, I'm going to be researching a lot and then learning more. Are you pairing that with meditation or how is the process of even learning that ability? What does that journey look like for you? Thank you for asking that. In the beginning, when I started this journey for myself, like a lot of folks, you get stuck. You know, meditation needs to be, hmm. What if you're always in a constant state of meditation all the time? You're always connected. In the beginning, someone who I recorded with on the podcast, he described it brilliantly. He goes, be a cat looking at a mouse hole and just hyper-focus. And every time you get distracted, refocus on the mouse that you think is going to come out of the mouse hole. And that was it. And that's how I got in the initial stage of, okay, how do you meditate? Not gain control because you only gain control by giving up control yeah. is how do you actually tap into those senses and being aware and like, oh, look, and then you hear different things and you can feel and sense. And then as I developed, I was being taught from a mentor of mine who's, who actually teaches me these skills as well. What if you're always in a state of consciousness of meditation, being present and connected to all, all the time? That's where I was just sitting down doing something. And I was, I just popped up because something just called and I just connected with it. And that was it. And a lot of people say that's very frou-frou. And I'm like, okay, whatever you want to, we have a really high sensation or ability to try to define things. I don't need to define anything. Doesn't really yeah. Good for you. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. Your ability to learn is in alignment with that. Without question. I can sense it. Beautifully yeah. said too. And, and yeah. really trying to, because we try to define things a lot of times, the linear way of learning. And I think sometimes when we step out of that and start listening in different ways. I'll tell you a really funny story as well. So our upstairs hallway bathroom is just about to be finished and the plumber came over. Now we have three vehicles. One's a minivan. We call it the swagger wagon. Right. We had to make the minivan is for my daughter when she gets her license. Mm-hmm. I don't mind driving the minivan. I don't mind rotating cars to make sure they get used and I get stale, things like that. Right. Yeah. So I go, hey, I have to run to Home Depot real quick. Now his truck was parked in front of my truck. He thought you want me to move? I go, no, I'll, I'll just take the swagger wagon. He looks at me like bravado, like big guy type thing. I go, I would probably kick the shit out of anyone, <laughs> like 95% of the males that are out there. I'm good. <laughs> like I'm okay driving a minivan. I don't care about that at all. Not at yeah. any level. <laughs> you know, t- toxic masculinity. I was just having a conversation about this. This is, it's interesting. One of the goals that we couldn't get on with the family is we wanted to become a, a licensed foster home. And uh, a few years ago we did. And part of working with children with such trauma is talking through what they've grown up seeing. And one of those things is by far with the boys is the toxic masculinity and how they treat women and how they treat themselves, most importantly. It all stems from here. If we're not good for us, we really cannot be good for anyone else, as I'm sure you you could agree with. And we're getting far from salt right now, Scott, okay. <laughs> as I'm realizing you know, and just enjoying the conversation. It's the, the idea of, I think I learned this a handful of years ago and dealing with anxieties and controls and thinking that's how 
life needs to be structured in order to be safe is the kind of my viewpoint at one point. And, and then really kind of delayering in many ways and recognizing, wow, the way to be strong is through vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And that's something that in a lot of these experiences of these children have never been discussed. You know, vulnerability is unsafe. Meanwhile, I'm finding deep strength in that aspect. You know, going back to the the minivan and that mentality and all, and that's just it's created. It's it's created by people that came before us, and it's putting people in boxes. And boxes, in my point of view, have never really served people yeah. well because it's it's limiting, right? It's um, an illusion. It, it is. It is just like time, man. That's like a whole nother conversation that <laughs> you should do a podcast on time. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I think. Um, we can try to conform in so many ways that really do not serve us as a culture, as an individual. Really, the mentality of people trying to do their best, I really believe that people, for the most part, are good people and they're trying to do the best that they can. But when you put so many stipulations and expectations and boxes, it makes it even more difficult. And mm-hmm. I think when we start to unravel and delayer, and like you said, kind of maybe not safe, so focused on trying to remember something because it's already there. Your, your knowledge base is there if, if you just try to connect with it in ways. So th- this is why this is important right now. Someone needs to hear that. Well, I was walking my dog this morning. The neighbor came by and we just stopped and had a 25-minute conversation. Like how many times do you hear that nowadays, right? So that, that was one. And I was like, wow, the time flew by. Mm-hmm. And we're just talking about kind of like the, the pre-program. I think a book that you would really like is called The Virus of the Mind. It has nothing to do with COVID at all, mm-hmm. uh, but it talks about the memetics and the generational and cultural programs that are out there that we don't even realize that exist it is very, very good. So yeah. much so, I was like, I, I need to read that again immediately. It was that impactful. But that was one that just kind of stood out. And I was like, wow, look at that. And, and then now, now that you know, you can't unknow. I'm like, oh, look at that. And then I can very easily catch traps that would bring you down that rabbit hole and go, ah, and cause that spiral effect where you're like, oh, that control. And it's like, no. But then point of me with my neighbor stopping, she talked about an experience about, you know, it was no one else's business. I said, no, I go. What about if someone learned from that experience? Because you know something, you're absolutely right. And that's where I came to, which is my number three, because you were number one. She was number two. This week's podcast, for the first time, I talked uh, openly something I was very embarrassed about. And I just, I, I was like, no, 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 it's my story. I just became very vulnerable and said, you know, a couple of years ago, I was making a lot of money. I got fired from that job. My job was my identity, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And my wife, who does the editing for the podcast, she goes, do you really want some of this information in there? So let it roll. We got to get rid of it. It's serving nobody. Someone's going to learn. Yeah, and so it came around in that way. And, and one of my friends had listened to a piece of this as well. He goes, the transparency was beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. Nice. That's beautiful. It was cool. And tapping in some of our, we don't have a, I, well, let me speak for me. I, wasn't listening to my body for a long while. I wasn't listening to the feelings I was having. Some of these feelings that we have are the anger, 
It's not anger is the secondary feeling. It's a reactive. What else is underneath that anger? Sure. Um, and some emotions are, are bigger to deal with. You know, guilt and shame are some of the largest to to handle and wrap around. And it's not a straight line when dealing with different things of grief or some of these other emotions that we touch back on. And you know, the whole idea of, of we've been hearing more about leaning into things and really learning about them. I think it's just phenomenal and. I don't know how this ties back to salt, except, except to, to, uh, but that's to the thing. say we, we're really caring about what we do. Yeah, it's a journey, right? It's the experiences it through it the is. experiences that people relate to. Because here's the thing. Here's, here's what I noticed, right? When you, Maureen, have to think, you have a lot of ums because yeah, you're thinking. Sure. You're thinking. Yes. Yeah. But when you're flowing and going, you haven't said an um in the last 15 minutes. Interesting. Very interesting. That's where you know when you're tapped in with somebody and it's yeah. just, there's no breaks, there's no interruption and you're just going like it's supposed to be. And then everyone would know this in this show is Alan Watts is one of my favorite, favorite philosophers. He goes, anytime you try too hard at anything, it always turns into a mess. <laughs> so when things, you're not trying on something, whatever that may be, and it's going, go. And yeah. that's, throw it up. When I Thanks for it. creating the space for it all. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So I got the final question for you. Ready? Sure. You get to leave the audience with whatever message you like to leave them. Floor is yours. Buy mm. our delicious salt. That's a good takeaway from this. It's something that I think, not I think, I take a lot of pride in. It is something that I'm proud of, my team's proud of, for creating something that is good for you, also is uh, absolutely delicious. So, you know, my request would be follow us on Instagram, Florida Pure Sea Salt. We're on Facebook as well under that same name. Our website's floridapureseasalt.com. We're going to post it all in the podcast. Oh, cool. Thank you. Super, super easy, yeah, as well. Thank you. I think most importantly, it's always been about connection. Connection is our basic need. And When we talk about basic and even this conversation you and I just kind of went into, I think for some people, like you said, it might be foo-foo or out there or whatever, but I think it's so basic. And I think in my life in the last handful of years, I've been trying to tap into the simplicity of it. We all have basic needs. We all have the same basic needs. How we get there and tend to them sometimes are a little bit different. And Mm -hmm. I think food and we talked a little bit about this early on, it's a beautiful way to connect with people. And salt can be part of that opportunity, whether it's rimming your cocktails and talking about our lime-infused sea salt or a habanero on a, on a Bloody Mary or a uh, salty dog, or really using less of it to give your family uh, more control of their sodium intake. But just sharing our story, but more than that, it's just connecting with people. And if we can be a part of that connection with people, your family, your friends, that's incredible. And I think when people connect, we know there's a lot more similarities than there are differences. We hope we can have a, a hand in, in making that uh, meal incredible for y'all. Wonderful. Love it. Thank you for joining. It's another episode of Healthcare 360. All the information for Florida Pure Sea Salt is going to be in the podcast notes on the website, everywhere you look. So I can't thank Maureen enough. Thank you. Everybody take care. We'll see you for the next one. Wasn't that fun? Thank you very much.
That was neat. Very enjoyable. And, and thank you for sharing what we do. It's uh, it's it's something that helps our business, helps our team, and uh, will hopefully help us, us grow and uh, also learn and move forward in bigger, more positively impactful ways because that's what we're looking to do. Did you place your order yet? My wife, Michelle, just ordered the lime-infused sea salt, and I truly cannot wait to get that one in and give it a try for myself. Nation, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you, and don't forget, you can find all of our 108 episodes at scotteburgess.com, and follow-up conversations are shared in our Facebook community group, The Best and Brightest of Healthcare 360. From all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we thank you for your continued support. We'll see you for episode 109, where my wife Michelle and I recap and celebrate the 100s. See you there.